Welcome, everybody, to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby, and our guest today, the head coach of the Boilermakers, Matt Painter. And uh, first time on the show, uh, Coach, so welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. A little bit of background on this show. This is basically like your radio show, but with a much better lead host. Yeah, <laughs> I'd agree with that. <laughs> uh, of course, the Cliz hosts the radio show every week on Monday nights. Oh, he does? We haven't figured that out yet. Little dig on the little dig on the veteran sports announcer. So uh, today we want to uh, recap the non-conference uh, schedule. Boilermakers make the turn at 11-2. and two. Uh, we open up Big Ten play this week with the Iowa Hawkeyes visiting Mackey Arena. But a little bit about uh, the non-conference slate. Um, just your overall thoughts with an 11. Larry, you want to interject here. I have my hand up for the uh, synthesis and on television. It will be soon that the podcast will probably most likely be shown in video form. I can't oh, my. T- I can't tell you exactly when that will be. But... Having said that, I just want to say a few things about Coach Painter before you ask the first question. Now, he's become very good, uh, especially in the last three or four years. That if you ask one question, he can take <laughs> up a whole commercial break segment, which is uh, at least three, four, five, or six minutes. So I just want to make sure that when you ask him a question, you put that limit on it because, Coach, well, we've, there's we've, no commercials yet in this podcast. And we've got no shortage of questions here, so we can we can provide plenty of uh, material. But, you, <laughs> but for your thoughts overall, 11-2, and two, um, obviously the two losses to very good teams, Villanova here and at Louisville in the ACC Challenge, good win uh, against Notre Dame. And then we'll talk about some of the other wins in there, but just your overall thoughts. Well, I, you know, anytime you have a – enough games you know so you have 13 games you always feel like um you should have won one you probably stole one um so we you know you look back and you villanova would be that game um that we feel like we have an opportunity we had a tough stretch there where we turned it over missed some a couple front ends a one-on-one there but we did I, I thought we we played okay especially for early in the season i didn't think our defense was very good until the end um georgia state was a game that we absolutely stole um, you know, finished the game on a 20-0 run. So when you look back and reflect on that, very fortunate to get that win. And a lot of times when you're 11-2, and two, a fan always thinks, man, I wish we could have had those two games back. Well, in reality, you stole one in there, too. you got to look at it on the other side of the fence. Um, Louisville was, was the biggest disappointment. I didn't think anybody um, was really ready to play. Um, our, our, our big guys struggled in the first half. We got the ball at the rim. We turned the ball over. We missed layups. A lot of that has to do with Louisville, but a lot of it has to do with our preparation and just letting the game come to us. Um, we found a way to mess things up. We, we just did. And um, hopefully we can learn from that and be better because of it. And you would say, well, you know, haven't you learned from that? You've played, you know, five, six games since that. Well, we haven't played anybody like Louisville. So when you go back up against somebody that has that kind of size with four big guys, and you go into the game with their two leading scorers being guards, and their big guys just absolutely killed us. Right. And uh, we're almost a couple of them are perfect from the field, and so with looking at that, I, um, you know, I we've played well, um, we've done some good things. I like our balance offensively. Um, you know, Swanigan has been very consistent for us, and he had that stretch where he turned the ball over a lot, and he's done a lot better as as, as our team has here in the past three games and, and not turning it over. Um, but he's been able to score it for us and rebound and just bring energy every single night. Anytime you have a guy on your team 
that can play that hard and play that hard in some games that everybody worries about. You know, you, you play Western Illinois, you play Norfolk State, and you come off of Notre Dame and you worry about that. Well, then now you have a guy that's been the you know, Big Ten player of the week, back-to-back weeks, and he's out there trying to, you know, to get every rebound and you know, j- just played really, really hard. So when you look at our team and our balance offensively, we have good size that can score. Um, I think Vince Edwards has been great coming off the bench. Um, he's had a great attitude. Has been way more productive than he was starting. Um, Carson Edwards has given us a, a lift in terms of his athleticism and his quickness. Um, our guards have been very, very steady. Anytime you have guys that can shoot the way Matthias Thompson you know, Edwards, Klein, um, you know, those guys, you know, you're going to have some balance. So I think today it said we were the 11th best uh, three-point shooting team in the country. And, and the complement with our with our bigs is, is um, I, I think, is a good weapon going into um, conference play. You know, and hopefully we can keep that going and establish ourselves. Our defense is probably the one thing that's improved the most. Um, I don't think we're at a position where I would call ourselves a good defensive team, but we are making progress. Um, our numbers are good, but we'll see if our numbers are good, you know, the start of February after we've played Big Ten teams. That, that's going to be the telltale for me. Um, but I do like our improvements. I like the improvement of Dakota Mathias. I think our guys are better in, in terms of staying connected and talking um, at all times. So um, Smotherman's a, a guy that, you know, didn't play in the second half of Notre Dame. Um, but I, I think he's the guy that's going to be important for us um, to give us energy and uh, to be that guy um, that could do a little bit of different things. You know, hopefully we get Spike Albrecht here back um, in the next couple games. That would be great. Um, that gives us that leadership and gives us that experience. Another guy that understands how to play that can really pass it and really shoot it. So, um, you know, we're excited about obviously going into conference play, but kind of recapping um, everything in non-conference. Um, there, there's always going to be some intangibles in there. And I, and I think that for us is, is our chemistry. I, I think we've seen some adversity. We've had some, you know, some neutral games. We've had a road game. Um, you know, we've had a guy that's a, one of the better players in our league. We've had to take off the starting lineup and put on the bench. I thought he had an unbelievable attitude. I thought he was great. Um, that's why he's one of our captains. I think he really showed a lot of leadership by going out and playing and going out and, in, in doing what's best for you know for his team, and I think in those situations you you find out a lot about people. And when we, you know he, he really showed his character, and that the team comes first. And he really doesn't play any less minutes. He might play like two to three less minutes, but um, to play two to three less minutes and get more quality of play and really help our team, um, I thought that was a great sign, um, you know, as a leader and as a captain of our team. One thing that is, it seems like it's year to year that uh, we, we say this at the end of every non-conference schedule. You play a team, and then when the game's over, suddenly you become that team's biggest fan because you want, you want to see them succeed and you want the RPI you know, points and things like that. Um, but one of the teams that, that we face down in Cancun, Auburn, um, you know, they make the turn before SEC play at 9-2, and two, or 11-2 and two rather, Right. Um, you know, one other loss besides the loss there to us uh, in that tournament was at Boston College. Um, they got a good win in overtime at Connecticut the other day. So that's a team, too, that we, we talked about this the other day. The teams that we played in the non-conference that are going to be NCAA tournament teams, obviously Villanova, Louisville, and Notre Dame, you'd look to be there. But uh, teams like Georgia State and, and Auburn, I would think, would be bubble teams or, or have a good chance at least of getting in come March. Yeah, and that's um – that's important because, 
you know, you wouldn't want to sit there and say, hey, you beat one NCAA tournament team non-conference. You want to be able to say, you know, you know, Georgia State won their league. You know, Auburn is projecting towards, you know, getting into the NCAA tournament. So you want to be able to build your resume. And that's where, you know, a, a team like Butler right now has a real distinct advantage over a lot of people. I don't think people understand how many quality wins that they've had, you know, beating Indiana, um, beating Cincinnati. They won at Utah. There's a couple other ones that are in there. Um, you know, that are obviously quality. Arizona. Wins. Arizona, yep. So they've gotten some quality wins in there. And, and for us, that's what's it's important because when you look at our Cancun trip, you say, okay, who's the two NCAA tournament teams from the, from the previous year? We're Purdue and Texas Tech. Well, you want to collide with Texas Tech because numbers say, you know, they're going to be able to, to get back to the NCAA tournament. Whether that's true or not, you know, you like to, you like to think so. Well, we, Auburn beats them. And uh, has them down, you know, 20 at one time, and so then we're able to beat Auburn by 20 ourselves. So you want them to take off now and uh, be an NCAA tournament team to go along with Georgia State. The Big Ten season starts this week against Iowa, and we can go back and talk about Iowa from last season because they swept us. But before we do that, when I just look at the 18, 18- the always positive Larry Clisby. Well, but what I want to <laughs> look at is the 18 game schedule. Yeah. And we start five of our first seven games are at home. Then we have a streak where we play four of five on the road and then finish the year playing three of four. I mean, that's I mean, that's two streaks there that, you right. know, is almost the entire schedule that you're playing on the road, which just seems to be strange to me. I, I can't ever recall playing four or five on the road. Yeah. Well, you have can't, you? you no. Know, um, but you can't play three in a row. So and, t- and TV dictates a lot of it. So you're going to get you know some of those those setups. No matter what what you do, there's going to be some. There's going to be a tough stretch somewhere. We obviously have a good start. I'd rather have the start and get the confidence, especially as it goes on, because you have to be a little bit lucky in, in terms of staying healthy. So you hope you're one of those teams that that have that luck, and you stay healthy, but you get off to that good start. And we've all had it before, you know, we'd, we'd rather start the season two games at home or two games on the road. Well, there's some teams that have played really well that now have to play that first game on the road. And, you know, can they build confidence if they don't win those games? And that's so important. We talked about it with our team. If you want to win a Big Ten championship, you know, you've got to win your home games. You know, sure, you can win one, lose one here, lose one there. But if you do, you better be really good on the road. So um, you have to win those home games, and you have to understand how important, um, you know, some of those back-to-backs or if something happens, how you can recover. That's why we talked earlier about the adversity. You have to be able to recover. You can't have that bad stretch because that bad stretch can cost you. Well, look at, too, I think in the old cliche, and everybody around here always references and credits it to Coach Katie about not when you play or who you play but when you play them. You look at last year, we caught Iowa two times at the front end of the schedule. And they, and they were, were really a, good. And they were yeah, a much really different team come at the end of February, March. And on the flip side, we went up to Wisconsin to open the season. Didn't play really well, but got the road win. I'm not so sure. I know if we would have played that poorly in February, we wouldn't have won up there. Right. But that's another thing to look at because every time, the, every time you look at the conference schedule, somebody's always going to be – a lot better than people thought going into it, and somebody's always going to perform a little below standard going into it. And so a lot of times it's when you get those people, and, and that can change within mm-hmm. a season, as we just so said. So Coach Katie didn't coin that phrase? I don't, I, I've always heard him credited with that phrase. So I'm, I'm giving him credit, but I don't know. Well, I'm sure he stole it. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I'm going to have to make sure Coach hears this now and that he knows that that was Larry who said that he stole that. His, that old, his old buddy. You don't think he went and got a patent on the phrase? <laughs> no. Should have. We've used it now. you got to get some T-shirts made with the trademark on it. Not who you play, when you play them. Uh, but that is true, especially in the uh, in the conferences. And, and nowadays, the way the imbalanced schedule is, um, you know, you're playing some teams now. That's one of the first things we'll do when the schedule comes out. You know in advance who you play home and away. But when that schedule gets released in August, that's one of the first things we do is go look and see when you play these guys. And uh, it could be a very big advantage for a team if you avoid certain places, especially if there's a place you haven't played historically well at. We, we know that this year – at least the way the non-conference has gone, we have the Hoosiers twice. We uh, we do not go to Wisconsin. We've got Michigan State twice. You know we've got Iowa twice. Um, but this yeah. but but again the schedule at this point you don't know a lot of these non-conference schedules of these teams. You know look at Minnesota and Rutgers, completely different non-conference schedule records that they than they had a year ago. Yeah, eleven and two for one, twelve and one for the other. And I think there are a couple of the wild cards going into league play. I think a lot of people are curious to see how they're going to shake out by the time the uh, the league's done. So um, as we look around the league too, Northwestern, a team that it seems like it's been this thing for the last two or three years. Is, is this the year they get in the NCAA tournament? They've done for the most part what they're supposed to do in the non-conference at 11 and 2. And we should preface that by saying they have never been to an NCAA tournament, ever. Well, I think with Northwestern, it'll be interesting. Um, They have that record, and McIntosh hasn't played great, and we all know how good of a player he is. So I think, you know, I think that's encouraging. That shouldn't be discouraging. That's that's encouraging from the fact that he's an all-conference level player. He was last year, and uh, he's played big in big games. Um, But I think that the difference for them is Scotty Lindsey. You know, his ability, him and Vic Law, obviously, um, to knock down shots. You know, McIntosh can play make. Pardon gives him that big guy there. Uh, they've got some good um, guys coming off the bench that have had some individual games. It's really helped him. Gavin Skelly has made um, some improvements. Taphorn's had a couple big games shooting threes. So anytime you got that three-pointer and, and you can consistently shoot the basketball, the thing with them – is I think with, with, with pardon and their ability to drive the basketball. Anytime you rely heavily on on your shooting, um, you know there's going to be games that just doesn't go down, and uh, you still have to get to the rim. You know that year that Rob Hummel was a senior, and we started Bird and Ryan Smith, Kelsey Barlow was on that team, Lewis Jackson. We didn't have a post player that could score at their back to the basket, and that's what we always talked about. How do we get to the free throw line? You know we got to drive the basketball. Um, we got to do a good job also of keeping them off the free throw line and not overdoing things. And I, I think that's going to be important for Northwestern, um, not living and dying by the three, driving that basketball, getting that basketball to the rim. But I like what they're doing. Uh, to me, you know, I, I think sometimes you look at numbers a lot, but when you watch teams, they look like an NCAA tournament team to me. Let me ask you this with the imbalanced schedule. Does it, do you have any opinion? Does it bother you, not bother you? We play Iowa twice in the first five games of the year. Um, and which we did last year. Which we did last year. Uh, you know, we, we faced Minnesota the second game, that we, and they're a one play, so you're going to see them the second game of the year. You won't see them again until possibly the Big Ten tournament. You play Michigan the third to last game of the year. Uh, Indiana you have twice in the last, you know, six, seven weeks, or six, seven games. Uh, any thoughts on that? Does that bother you? To me it does, and I think anytime you try to, you know, dictate what's going on we, we there's a lot of different factors that go into making a schedule tv's in there 
Um, but anytime you do that, you're like, man, I wish we didn't play people as close. I hear the argument when we sit in those meetings. They say, you know, why can't we play, you know, teams and, and, and not see them twice? Because it's happened where you've seen a team twice in 12 days. I mean, I mean crazier things have happened than this right, right. here. Yeah. So right. they, they've talked about that. But to me, it's like, hey, whatever they say, let's do it. Let's play. Because I think you, you start to get into, like, you have a built-in excuse why you're going to lose a game when in reality there's a lot of reasons that go into it. You know, having a good mental outlook and being positive and just saying, hey, who cares? Let's play. Where do you guys want us to play? Oh, you want us to play in Iowa City versus Iowa? You know, great. Whenever we'll show up, let's get prepared to play that game. Because I think young guys play a lot. You just got to make sure they understand the value of being prepared and doing everything in their power to help them because a lot of things are out of their control and Cliz has talked about this a lot. There's so many things that it gets out of your control. You have something personal that happens in your life. You get a bad set of referees that you know, which happens a bunch. Um, and, and so, like whatever it might be, you got to be able to adjust to that. Somebody's hurt. Someone's in foul trouble. Something personal has happened to you. Um, just the stars aren't lined up for you. Who can overcome? some of those obstacles right there and still be able to get that victory. And that's what you've got to prepare your players to do and have that kind of presence and attitude, you know, from your older guys. So it doesn't matter what happens here. We're going to stick with it. We're going to grind it out and we're going to, you know, we're going to take care of the basketball, make our free throws and do our job on the defensive end. Touch on one thing too. You, you mentioned the big 10 meetings and, and for those people who don't know the coaches every May uh, meet in Chicago and discuss topics in in their respective sport um what's without you know unveiling any big secrets here what's the what's the one subject that comes up that just everybody's got an opinion on whether it's get yeah. whatever scheduling officiating um <laughs> you know those two things we, we had something last year where we turned the lights off they one of the other coaches said hey you know purdue did you know talked about it. he wasn't being a a jerk about it or anything, but he just talked about it. I didn't even know it. Like, there's some rules where, like, you know, you can't, when the other team comes out, the lights can't be off. And yet we had the lights off a couple times when the other teams were coming out. And then when they said it to me, I had to ask, you know, hey, is that a rule? Like, yeah, it's, right. it's the least of my worries. I'm, I'm worried about, like, somebody rebounding with two hands. So um, trying to, you know, the one thing I've never really got in the, in the officials, um, they're trying to get a constant call. They're trying to get everything the same way for every official to look at it that way. I think that's crazy. Um, I, I understand their intent to do it that way, but I think it's crazy for us to think that that's the way three different people are, are thinking during the game, especially someone who's officiated for a long time because we are all creatures of habit. And I would like for them to kind of get crews that stick together at times. You get crews that work well together, and now you get a little bit more consistent call. Now somebody's not going to like that. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to think that the crew's good together or whatever. But I do think it beats what we do is that you have officials flying all over America, and they've worked enough together when you get experienced guys. But there is a lot of younger guys coming up. And so kind of getting them with certain guys and kind of learning, maybe that's that's crazy. I think it would save on travel. I think it would save on a lot of different things. But the, the main thing is to get that consistent call and to get those three guys on the same page, you know, on a given night. Well, that is interesting. I mean, the NFL has a crew that sticks together year after year um, so they can kind of work in unison. I've never thought about that on the basketball side. A lot of times the way the Big Ten, when they assign games, a lot of times you'll see, and fans probably recognize it too. There'll be a, you know, a Saturday game up in Madison, 
and two of those officials will be down here on a Sunday mm-hmm. for that game. You know, they'll drive down together or whatever it might be. Oh, yeah, you and, get and a little bit of it. A little you know, bit yeah, of it. Yeah, you get a little bit of it. And I like that. I, You know, coaches like older officials. Coaches like experienced guys because you have more data with them. You've had more time with them. You've seen them handle adversity, handle things. And then there are some times where there's a particular guy that it is a pretty good official that you just you know you haven't got a good whistle from right. and you and yeah you would rather not see them ever again the in your life there. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah you'd be like hey you might be a good official I watch you on TV all the time but you're not good in our games for whatever reason you know stay away go on spring break for good yeah and, well uh, people we can uh, we can kind of say this to our audiences that uh, don't think for a moment that every official that you have uh, certainly is scrutinized by that coaching staff for both teams. I mean, they know who they are and they have right. a record against you and you can go look at the paperwork and you can say, well, what's our home record with this guy? Or what's right. our road record with this guy? Neutral courts with the lights on or with the lights off. I mean, you have all that data available. and I, You I, know, when you're, when you're 0-7 or 0-8 or 0-15... You don't like any of them. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you have a tendency... <laughs> yeah. to, you have the intent to go up and say, "Sounds I don't like you." Know. Yeah, it sounds like you don't have a very good team. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think too. I've always been amazed when I hear from fans that say they, when they mention certain officials, they'll say, "Boy, I can't stand that guy." And I'll look at them and think, "Boy, that's the one of the guys we really like." Right. And there's certain guys. Well, you do that with me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of the fans. Yeah, exactly. You no, know, when I go to Fast Breakers and I talk to that uh, Fast Breakers is a group of some businessmen locally and. In, in our state that I meet with once a month, and they talk about it. They have deep-rooted anger and frustration towards particular people, and they only know the names of like four or five. Right. So you Correct. get like 40 officials. Well, they only know four guys' names, so they're yeah, going to yeah. use one of those guys' names so they seem more knowledgeable. And the guys that they don't like normally, i got to correct them and say, hey, that official right there, like I'll use Jim Burr since he doesn't officiate anymore. I'll use him, and I'll be like, they go, well, what do you think? And they'll 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 say some things about Jim Burr negatively, and I'll be like, Jim Burr's one of my favorites. And they'll go, why is he one of your favorites? I said because I know what I'm getting. Yeah, he's not going to call a lot. Um, he's going to be fair. If you get him on the road, it doesn't affect him whether he's on the road, he's in the middle of a river, or he's at home. It does not right. matter. Yeah. he's going to call the game fairly. He is straight up. He's a fair. He's a good man. Um, I love Jim Burr. I have Jim Burr, and I'm only talking about him because I know he doesn't officiate anymore. But that's that's who he was over 35 to 40 years. And those are the guys that you like. And even some of the guys that are still reffing right now that some people you know grow to dislike, as long as they're good play callers, you'd be surprised at some of the guys that are really, really professional, look the part, they're in shape, they run hard, they give you 100%. You like them. They're just not very good play callers. Then there's other guys that, you know, they can, I always said this about Ted Hillary, even at the end where, you know, he had, I think that the hip replacement and he couldn't run and he couldn't move. You could sit Ted Hillary in a beanbag at half court. He could call it better than most guys. Just because of his experience, he understands, you know, the, the angles of what's going on. He understands advantage, disadvantage. You just, you have that much experience and he knows it's not about him. He's just trying to call the game, be consistent. Uh, but you, there's no substitute for experience. I think I could say, you know, in my 40 years of experience, I think it's a lot better today than it used to be. I think there were guys. It's more accountable. Yes. Yeah. And I think, and I think, um, 
Because there were times, seriously now, there were times in this league uh, when you went on the road, uh, you had to be really a bad team not to win at home. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, yeah. you weren't any good when you were losing home games. Back then it was Wisconsin, it was Northwestern. They were, they were going to lose a lot of home, home games. But the good teams, the, the upper echelon teams of the 10 teams of that time, man, I mean, you, you, know, you that you know, idea that idea that it was five, six, seven points you got when you're playing at home, that was true because if a game came down to one decision, mm. you, you'd always say to yourself, I don't think that's going to go our way right yeah. here. Well, and millions didn't see the game. Exactly. You know? That's yeah. true. That's true. You know. Now, non-conference, if you lost at home in non-conference in the Big Ten in the 80s, you were terrible. <laughs> 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 now non-conference. Now they don't. Hey, and Coach now, Weber always talked about it. So like I like, he hired me like in 1998, and like all of a sudden like his 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 banter during games or whatever going, he'd get all frustrated and he couldn't spit it out. He goes, "It's a home game. We're supposed to win this. This is non-conference. We paid him 45 grand." I'm like. What the hell does that have to do with anything? He just goes, Matt, you don't understand. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, this is a guaranteed game. We're at home. He goes, they should just be calling things for us. He said, exactly. He goes, what do you think happened in the Big Ten for the last 20 years? So I was like, well. That always brings up the the, the story I have from the junior college days in the 70s when you used to go there. You go to Olney, Illinois, or you go to, uh, and you remember Three Rivers or some of these places uh, when, I, when I was coming up in the, in the high-level junior college. Uh, game and we used to go there and of course you only had two officials mm-hmm. but you go every year you go to these places home and home and it'd be the same two guys and then you'd find out that one of them was related to the coach and the other one yeah. was like the coach's neighbor <laughs> yeah this is a great story here uh jay spoonhour is the head coach at eastern illinois and one of our um former assistants here jr reynolds played there and uh, was was Jay uh was charlie his dad charlie's his dad i'm gonna get to yeah. it here in a minute and so he was an old juco guy and so I, I, I don't know where – I think he's at Moberly when this story came out. So Jay came and they played us four or five years ago and we're talking. And and they, he would always the, – the relationships with coaches were different. Like, you know, they're, they're, you were friends with guys that you competed against. And you wouldn't think that, you know, you're like, you know, here I'm going to tear this guy's head off and go crazy. But, you know, you were friends. And so Charlie would always be – he's a head coach at a junior college. And he would always invite him. The other coach afterwards, hey, why don't you stop by the house? And, uh, you know, we're going to have a little food, you know, hang out for a little bit once you come by. And, and, and sometimes those guys would come by and sometimes they wouldn't. And then, but whenever they would show up, the officials were there too. So, so here you had a junior college game and then, and then the officials. And so, you know, you normally got beat by, by Spoon's team. And then you went to his house, you know, to have a couple beers and have a couple pieces of pizza. And all of a sudden you show up and there's the, there's the officials. And you're like, eh, hey, no wonder we got beat today. But that's, <laughs> that's the way it was. And that's, you know, they, they took care of their officials. Well, think about that. I know Cliz, you used to talk about that the visiting teams coming in here used to speak to a group of our fans right. the day before a game or the day of a game. And those kind of things are those are so long gone. I mean, nowadays yeah, we used to have a back in the seventies. We used to have a, a, a get together out at the old Howard Johnson's, which then became the Best Western, which now doesn't exist. And uh, and I used to be the I used to be the go to guy. I had to pick up the coach. And one of my worst experiences ever with the late Bill Cofield was the head coach of Wisconsin. And I just went down to the floor to pick him up. I just walked in the gym. Walked in the gym. And I asked one of the managers, would you tell Coach I'm here to pick him up? Then I turned around and left. 
he came up in that hallway upstairs and he just lit into me like and and Bill was a big guy, you know, a former player. And he just rips into me. I have this little car, I have this little Dodge Dart. <laughs> it's like it's like I mean it's half the size of my current Jeep and he hardly could fit in it. And he gets in the seat and I have to take him all the way out to the Howard Johnsons and he just he's screaming at me. I mean, he's saying everything but he's never met me, but he hates me. And we get there. I can go guy, so many, I could go so many places and with we that, get but to, I'm not. And we get there and the MC introduces this guy and he gets up there and was all league. I mean all league. I mean he was up there. He had this whole crowd just by his fingertips. I'm sitting there in the audience about ready to give him a standing oh <laughs> he gets back into the car rips me all the way across the river going back because i showed up at his practice now coach painter would find that incredibly funny because he knows that i don't know one darn thing about basketball so he would say who cares but anyway he was just mad he was upset you know and then when we finally got back to the arena and i let him out of the car he, he leans back down looks in the seat and said hey dude hey i'm sorry man I'm sorry I got on you. Didn't mean to. Oh, got back to <laughs> Boop, 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 off I went. But think about that. I mean, nowadays, like we go into a city, you you know, you practice the day of, you watch film, you may meet with some of your players, but you're on the phone a lot during the day, whether that's just business work or recruiting calls or things like that. Guys, that, those days are gone. Nobody's doing that kind of stuff anymore. So. Well, the other thing was, too, you guys um, – when we used to go to Iowa in football season, they used to have a, the the head coach of the other team would come. The head coach would come there. Remember the restaurant up there in Iowa City? It the was, Lark? Yeah, in Tiffin, I believe it was. And we'd go there, and it was a heck of a party. And they would it would be the media. They would bring the media there. And then the coach, the, both the head coach and the, and the coach from the other team would show up. And that ended uh, when Shem Beckler and Hayes started going at it. They wouldn't, you know, neither one of those guys wanted to show up. Well, Bobby Bowden used to have breakfast the day after a game. Sunday morning, he'd have a breakfast with the media and dissect the game the previous and day. And, you know, and you remember uh, Howard Schnellenberger when he was at Miami? We went down there and played them in the early 80s in football, and uh, they had us out. They had the media out on uh, these big luxury boats <laughs> with, with rum Marys. And we're out there. <laughs> what, 11, could, what could go wrong? 11 o'clock in the morning, we're out there in Key Biscayne or wherever it was. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's changed. It is, yeah. It's changed. Well, everything, every cost cutting, that's the first thing you get. Get rid get, of the media get first. Get rid of the media. Yeah. Uh, one other question here is we, I know we've really um, got off the beaten path here, but I think it's all been pretty good stuff. The uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about the non conference, what's the biggest change? on our trip to Spain we played five games over there what's the biggest difference in or four games over there what's the biggest difference on this with this team now as we stand right now versus when we were on that plane coming home and you were probably your mind's probably racing thinking about your team it's different basketball I think that's the 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 difference it's hard to get a good read um, because it's such an open um, style of play and uh, I didn't think the competition was that good. I think the timing of when our window, that timing, it really kind of hurts us. Um, but I liked the trip. I liked Spain. I liked our players getting, you know, the ability to spend time together and bond. And I think that's probably more important than anything, just the educational piece and the experience they have with each other. Um, but um, 
my concern is always defense. I just think if you have a good defensive team, um, you know, you're going to be able to find your way out of ruts by getting stops or whatever. And so that was my concern then. I'm not as concerned now, but still concerned. Um, and, and so, uh, but I, I do think the experience helped, um, you know, with our guys and our personnel. I think it was good for Carson, good for Spike, um, just the newcomers, Basil not playing the year before. I think those things um, really, really help to go along with that. But it's also seeing the big picture of it. You know, we backed up a little bit in the fall and understanding some things. We haven't went as long because we don't have as many guys on our team now. We've done more half-court stuff, so I've, I've tried to be um, in tune with that and, and make sure that uh, we understand we want to be playing our best basketball, you know, in February and March. Well, thanks uh, thanks for being on. We have one uh, final segment. This is your first time on the podcast. We do a thing with uh, the first-time guest. Uh, we call it our final four. Four questions for you. Uh, first, what uh, what music or CD, iPad, what's on your iPad? What's your go-to thing to listen to, whether you're driving, oh. at home, whatever? Zach Brown. And you're also, by, and I love this is insider knowledge too, but you're also... Uh, when it comes to old school rap and hip hop, no question, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know anybody who knows more about uh, <laughs> the artist's albums, lyrics, and I tell that to some of our players. I don't know if that's going to help recruiting. No, that's absolutely going to help recruiting. <laughs> but it's uh, it's it's pretty yeah. Impressive Run, Run DMC that. is my favorite band of all time. Just you know, when they came out, and I was in sixth, seventh grade, and the one thing that if you play. You know, when you go and you put it back then, you'd have your big, huge box and you'd have your tapes and, you know, you'd have it. I had a full court basketball court in my backyard that my parents built when I was in fourth grade. It had floodlights. It was 50 feet of slab, concrete slab, two goals. You just shot. You got your own rebound. You dribbled the other end. You shot. You got your own rebound. That's what you did. You know, you worked on your game. You played one on. I told our guy, one of our players last year this. I forget which one it was. We used to play one on one to 100. Each goal, each bucket counts as one. And they looked at me like I was crazy. We, we played one-on-one to 100, win by two. So you would have games, you'd be playing somebody, and you, you know you, you could, you know, obviously some of the guys I grew up with, you could dust them, but then you'd have some competition with some other people. <laughs> but that's a long game of one-on-one. Oh, yeah. And and so, they, they, but anyways, but you would use this, your tapes, and you put your tape in, and you play one side of the tape, which was going to be uh, 20 Time, minutes. And timeout. Then you flip it. Yeah, you got time. Oh, <laughs> well, flip see, the tape. That's, that's why he was good, because when I grew up, I used to play against the statue. You know, it's like the Ralph Taylor's line in the last yeah. game. Like I, one I thought team. you said you were you were uh, spinning some Andy Williams records there over <laughs> on, the, on the Epiphone. Yeah. Pat Boone. <laughs> you, know, you, you had Pat Boone going, yeah. no wonder you weren't. You yeah, know, you're you falling couldn't... asleep on when you're ju- in your jump shot. But that was the whole through. thing. You listened, you listened to things that were upbeat, even though whether it was something, you know, whether it was rap or whether it was, you know, Def Leppard in the early 90s or whatever it might have been. You know, you didn't want something, you know, you, the, the Pat Boone and maybe some Christmas carols. You know, you didn't want that as a, as a middle sure. school player. Yeah. Okay. So, no, you didn't want the Christmas song with Karen Carpenter. No doubt, Kenny Rogers Christmas. Yeah. You. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, your the best book you've read recently? Oh. Or just the most recent book you've read? He reads. Because <laughs> we're passes, gonna be in trouble when we get a read. guest on. No, he doesn't read. Think, but there's uh, he passes quite a few of these along to me, so I yeah. I know he does. What's your latest? I got four or five books I just got, and I, I, I've been looking at all of them. But um, you know, I'll go to I'll go to Barnes and Noble and sit at Barnes and Noble and just I haven't been for two three months, and I'll go there and I can't find one I haven't read that I want to get. 
You didn't get any of those Cubs books, did you? Yeah, I got one. I got one of the Cubs books. I got a Coach Brantley got me. um, I was going to get you one, and I kept looking at it, and they kept you know all these highlights were against Indians players, and I said, Nah. Even even though I love them, I can't do it. I I I'm I'm drawing a blank here on that last uh, my last book that I read that it was was pretty good. Let's move Uh, on. Let's don't put them on a spot. You know, I I read um, I read Seth Davis's book with. Mag- Magic and Bird. That was a good mm. book. I like that one. Then he and he told me that his wooden book was better. But I got about halfway through it and I got stuck. Um, I've read so many of John Wooden's books. So when you get like Seth did an unbelievable job. Where Seth was, was did a, a great job was his background growing up. He got really really detailed and, and, and dove into that. But once Seth got to the UCLA and then kind of passed. And got right there. You've read all that. You know all that. And so I, I got to about 20, 30 pages where I'm like, hey, he hasn't given me anything I don't know here. Just because if you're a coach, <laughs> that's what you do. You know, you read Dean Smith's books or John Wooden's books or Bob Knight's books or, you know, whoever it might be. That's what you do. You can't get enough of that. And then sometimes once you get, I like the fluff of it. Like I've read, you know, I've read Daryl Dawkins's book. I mean, I just, you know, like anything like that. I grew up a Sixers fan. Dr. J is my favorite player. I've read Dr. J's book. And so anytime you can get into something that, you know, you can familiarize yourself with and that you like. That's better. The coaching books, the one that, that you know you like to get into, like Rick Majerus's book, "My Life on a Napkin." That was that was great. But Rick Majerus recruited me. Um, Rick Majerus was close with Tom Ryder and Bruce Weber, and um, you know he was at Ball State when I was in high school. So I, I liked that. But it was a great basketball read for how he was as a person, how he was as a coach. Those are the types. But sometimes you get the books that are just you know they're, they're trying to sell the book. You know, I don't want. Right. I, I, I want. I want a good book that you know you can't put down. It's like the other day when we were doing the thing for the Secret Santa, and we, we were there, and you know you see you know the Parcells book, you're like, oh man, I like to read that. Or you see like a Bruce Springsteen book, and you're like, man, something like that excites me more than sometimes a bad book by a coach. You know, it's like you know you got to you need something. You know, give me something here. But I get that way. People will give me a book, and I'll get stuck on page eighty. I'll read eighty pages of it, and then I'll be like, man, I don't. Throw this away, and someone goes. Did you read that book? It was a good book. I said, "Well, not not one through eighty wasn't." And so it's, but I I, I do that a lot. I, I jump around. Okay, uh, this might be a tough one for you um, because I th- that I'm one calling. wasn't. I, I <laughs> <laughs> I've only known you wanting to do what you currently do. So, uh, what other profession other than coaching oh, would you? Wow, I, I'd have been a school teacher if I didn't coach. So I, I'm I'm still kind of technically doing it because I'd have been a high school coach. Coach Owen said the same thing. Yeah, that's what I would have. My dad was a teacher for a couple of years, for an English teacher before going and to law school. And I said school. the same thing. I'd either be a broadcaster or a coach. And I took broadcasting because I knew I'd make a hell of a lot more money. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> dead on Clisby. Bullseye Clisby. Okay, uh, and the last question. Uh, nobody knows this about me. Now, this is going to be hard because I think Larry and I. Oh. But what's something that the people listening would have no idea about? I think anytime you get interviewed and you're out there a lot, it's hard to answer that one because eventually, you know, you know, everything gets talked. Every about. rock's going to be unturned. You yeah, think? yeah. Um, probably the thing, um, and you, you know this if you're around me, but um, well, I bet a lot of people didn't know you like hip hop and rap. As <laughs> no, much. no. Oh, is I've stayed in contact with the people that I grew up with. 
not just like a guy or two. I think once you go past whatever and you go in high school, you have a guy or two that you like staying kind of as my best friend, whatever. But you also have best friends that, you know, you just you drift away from. Whether, you know, that's right, wrong, or indifferent. I think that happens to a lot of people. Um, I would say I'm an outlier there. Um, to me, it's... I don't have the association with one high school friend. Yeah. Not one. So think, yeah. I mean, so you're well, saying... I, and probably you have, have, I probably have an association with 40 people I went to high school well, with. Well, knowing today. you as well as I do, I can assure you that the Muncie Mafia does exist. They are, <laughs> they are out there, and they are oh, yeah. in great you numbers. Know what? It all sounds good, but it doesn't help you uh, like when the ticket list comes out. Yeah. I can tell when he's talking to one of the Moff- Muncie Mafia members when he'll walk in and just mid-sends and be like, hey, man, i got to go. Leave me alone and hang up. <laughs> I'm like, yep, that must have been one of the Muncie guys he was talking to. Okay, well, that wraps up Episode 8 here on the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I want to thank Coach for dropping by. And uh, we will. This most likely will be his last podcast of performance. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't have to answer the final four anymore, so that's done. So we can get it. With, there's so so many topics to mine yeah, uh, the, down the road. The, the, we'll, you know, the best book that I've, I've read here in the past two three years is probably not two three years, but I like I like Bill Walsh's book. I liked um, the Winning Takes Care of Itself. That's probably the one, but it also has the human side to it. Um, you know, for him. And, you know, you, you think of ultimate successful people, like they don't have problems. It's like walking down the street and seeing two people together. You're like, Hey, that's, they're perfect. But when you see coaches, you, you think the same thing, or you think, you know, you think an athlete, man, they don't, God dang, I wish I was Kevin Garnett. I wish I was LeBron, man. Those guys got a bunch of problems. They got to deal with so much stuff. You don't look at that way, but when you grow up and you idolize a great player, you're, you're a young coach and you idolize somebody, you realize, and when I was, and I don't think this is even that that Bill Walsh book. I've read three of them, and Nate you know, Barrett gave me one of them, and he talks about um, having his uh, resignation written on three different flights coming up. I think it was three, maybe it was two. So he has he he's resigning two to three different times on his flight home from a road loss, and he has it written out, and he has everything thing, and by the time he lands, he's crumpled it up. And he has started his game plan for the next week, <laughs> but that but that is the mind of a you, you don't understand. There is winning, and then there is misery when you coach. Yeah, and there's there is nothing in between, and 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 you have a one track mind. I was walking to lunch today. I came back. I got three of my coworkers right behind right behind me, and I'm thinking about running a play in my head. And I walk and I open the door, and then I just instead of keeping it open for Kenny Lowe coming right behind me. I just ignore him and slam the door right in his face. Well, because I'm, then I turn right around and I said, "Hey, I apologize. I was thinking about something." And they all laugh at me because you have a one trick, one track mind. That's, that's that's what you have as a coach. It's hard to get off that and stop thinking about something else. And um, he has a great story. He goes to a cocktail party with his wife. Bill Walsh does, and he's there. It's the middle of the season or whatever, and he's got his arm around his wife, and he is. While his arms around his wife, he is doodling on her back, and he doesn't realize it. He's doing, you know, he's, he's drawing a play, and they're talking to another couple or a couple other people, and he's, you know, he's doodling on her back <laughs> while he's doing that. And finally, she turned to him. She goes, "Well, Bill, did you score?" <laughs> and he goes, what you, "He goes, what are you talking about?" He goes, "You've been drawing a, you know, you've been drawing a play on my shoulder here for the past thirty seconds. Did you score?" And he said, "In my mind, I didn't realize I was doing it. I was I doing it? I had to be." And he goes, that's just the way you are as a coach. And so it was good to read his book because here he is. The name of one of the books was Genius. And he goes, and I never thought I was, um, 
you know, a genius. I never thought that, but that's what some people thought of me. But man, I had a lot of failure and uh, it was really hard for me. He also comes up with something that I really, I always take to heart because I think it's very important for anybody that coaches to understand this. He calls it the disease of me. When you have success um, as a coach, you start to get this, that I'm the one doing this for our success. When in reality, you have a lot of people that are helping you have success. And that, that, that disease of me is something that a player needs to understand, a coach needs to understand, because when we win games at Purdue, do we obviously have good players? Sure. Did the coaching staff do a good job? Yes, but the structure is probably more important setting the tone for your team, the environment you're in, making sure everything is going right. But it's also your support staff. It's your coaches, your director of basketball operations, it's the sports information, it's the academics, it's the administration. You don't understand how important the administration and the radio guy. If you don't have a good radio guy, you're probably in trouble. You he, probably had can't. Hand, he had his hand up for 30 he, yeah, seconds. He was waiting to get for acknowledged. a long time. That's so there's the, a the lot business of, of me. Yeah, yeah, the business of clicks. Um so I think that's a real, real important fact to understand that, hey, you know, we're all replacements. That's what you got to understand. I'm very lucky to be the head coach, but you know, if they come in and fire me tomorrow, they will play this game against Iowa, and they're going to play that game with or without me. And make sure you understand that. And be grateful um, for what you have, and that, that's something that I always try to get across to our guys and our players. If I got to move you here because you do something silly, we're still playing this game. And if I do something silly, they're still playing this game. And as long as we kind of understand that, now you're you're more appreciative and grateful for your opportunity, and you can stay in the moment. So many times you want to get through things, and that journey is so important to stay in the moment. I know I went past everything, but my answer kind of came to me, so I wanted to make sure I had a good answer for the the final four. Is that what it was? The final four. Exactly. Final four. And uh, and I think part of the reason that you've been as successful as you have is you've you've always been very humble, modest, and treated everybody around you uh, very well. And we certainly appreciate that. I know Larry does. Uh, he's used to used to being the butt of some jokes around here and that doesn't sit too well with him so mm. we want to keep we'll him on. we want to keep him in a good in a good in a good place i'm just right. i'm just hanging on guys <laughs> just hanging on all right well that wraps up uh, episode eight here on the boilermaker basketball podcast uh, again we appreciate everybody listening and until next time be curious be informed and be well <laughs>